we are live. Okay. Uh, hi, everyone. Welcome to another Educator Innovator Hangout on Air. Uh, we're really excited to have you join us. Um, I'm one of the hosts for this Hangout. Uh, my name is Paulina Hadung, and I'm a, currently a fellow at the Berkman Center for Internet and Society at Harvard, uh, focusing on issues of ed tech and privacy. Um, my colleague and co-host, Andreas Lombana Bermudez, is also here with us today, as well as Don Reed. Um, and we'll be talking about the Berkman Center's new digital literacy resource platform. Um, so I'll let everyone introduce themselves in just a moment, uh, but a couple more things before we get started. So if you're watching this Hangout live, uh, we'd love for you to post thoughts, ideas, questions, either through the Q&A feature, right in the video player, um, or you can also take questions and follow along using the hashtag um, two as in the number, and then next prez, P-R-E-Z. Uh, we'll do our best to address your questions here in the Google Hangout. Um, we'll also be live tweeting this conversation at, uh, at innovates uh, underscore ed, uh, so you can also follow us there. Um, and just as a reminder, this webinar is also part of a series of programming related to Letters to the Next President 2.0, which engages and connects young people ages 13 to 18 as they research, write, make media uh, to voice their opinions on issues that matter to them in the coming election. Therefore, our hashtag, to next press. <laughs> um, so this webinar will be available later as a resource on letters to, to president.org. Uh, where you can also find many other resources and opportunities related to the election, um, as well as writing and digital literacies. Uh, so why don't you all introduce yourselves? Uh, Andreas, would you like to start? Sure. Thank you, Paulina, and hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Andreas Lombana Bermudez, and I am a fellow at the Bergman Center for Internet and Society. I am also a research associate with the Connected Learning Research Network, and I'm happy to be here and tell you about the DLRP, or Digital Literacy Resource Platform and have a discussion about issues of uh, education in the classroom, outside the classroom, connected learning, and other things. Thank you. Uh, Dawn, would you like to go next? Hello, I'm Dawn Reed. I'm a high school English teacher in Okemos, Michigan, and a co-director of Red Cedar Writing Project that is tied to Michigan State University. And I'm excited to be here to talk about this resource and digital literacy. It's important to my classroom and my teaching, and I look forward to the conversation. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much, Dawn. We're really excited to have you here. Um, so I thought maybe we could just jump right in. Andreas? Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, so what we're going to do is invite our uh, listeners and uh, our audience online to, to go to the digital literacy resource platform. Um, I'm going to share my screen and I'm going to take you there. But if you want to go, you can just go right away. And this is um, it's called dlrp.bergman.harvard.edu. This is how it looks, the front page. And um, just to tell you a little bit about it, uh, this is a prototype. Uh, so we currently call it Digital Literacy Resource Platform, but uh, we are uh, like also considering other names, and it's currently on development. So on this platform, when you go here, you, you can see it, this is the front page. Um, we have tools across four thematic areas, uh, privacy, safety, information quality, and creative expression. Our idea of tools are, are basically educational resources. And uh, they expand across different kinds, uh, from guides to videos to infographics, podcasts, research papers. Um, 
we also consider like a multiple audience. So we, we, we have resources for teachers, for youths, parents, and school administrators. Um, you keep going down, uh, you will see also that um, we have a, a network of, of collaborators who have helped us to, to create this platform. We, we incubated it as part of the DML uh, Trust Challenge, uh, the DML5 competition, so digital media and learning funded by the MacArthur Foundation. And since 2015 uh, to this year, we, we have been developing this platform on, under this grant. Um, and although in this initial phase, the tools uh, on the DLRP are limited to the, um, to the ones that the Bergman Center has developed in the past years uh, across different initiatives, we are currently working with our network of collaborators to include additional educational resources designed by them. Um, so why not? I invite you to go up the, to the, this is called the, um, the menu filter in the front page. And uh, on this menu filter, we, we have uh, the main feature of our platform, that is findability. We focus, uh, and our goal with this platform was to allow uh, users uh, to find tools, to find uh, educational resources that uh, according to their needs. So um, we created this, this menu filter that you can see here. And what you can do is select the kind of users according to uh, the different categories that we have. Uh, you can also select the kind of tool um, in, the, in the second panel. And then in, this, in the third option, you can select the theme. So the themes are the, the four thematic areas, privacy, information, quality, creative expression, and safety. I'm going to select privacy because for the Trust Challenge has been one of the, our major focuses. And uh, I'm, I'm also going to select here any. You can also select any tool. And when you click Find, you immediately go to this page that we call it the, the query page. I'm going to zoom out so you can see how it looks. Uh, it looks like a grid. And here, what, what you can see is uh, we display uh, a lot of uh, tools, what we call the, our educational resources in a grid. And they, mm, they are organized according to the date, the release date. So the, the ones that appear on the top have been the new ones. And they also uh, show like the kind of thematic area. Uh, you can see here, for instance, privacy, safety. They, there are also like titles. And one, one thing that you cannot see yet, but next week is going to be live, is like when you hover across, uh, on the top of these uh, boxes or these squares, you will see contextual information for each tool. Uh, on the top of the screen, you can also see this menu that we call it the live filter menu. And it allows you to change uh, on the fly the kind of tools that are displayed. So for instance, if I want to see podcasts for the same selection of teachers and privacy tools, uh, I, 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 I click the, 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 the label, and it shows me we have just one tool that matches that, that uh, kind of filter. So it's called Understanding Digital Trash. If, if I click the research papers, of course, we have more. Uh, uh, if I click informative video, we also have a lot of videos. So our tools are diverse, but they are not equal to, um, they are not, we don't have like the same number for each one. And it seems like my computer is getting slow. Oh, it just jumped to something. Um, let's see, we also have guides, uh, COPA FERPA guide, educational technology and student privacy guide, curriculum, and infographics. Oh, 
it turns out we don't have infographics for privacy, and this is what happens when you when you click a selection that um, we don't have yet uh, for our tools. However, we have creative expression uh, for teachers and infographics, and this is one tool that we wanted to show you. Uh, it's called the Fair Use Infographic. When you click here on those boxes, on any of those boxes, you go immediately to something that we call the tool page. And here, for instance, you can see it looks almost like a blog, uh, but it's not a blog. And then mm, you see a title. You see the body, a uh, little information on the top describing the tool. Uh, here, it, of course, it's an infographic. So you have like a JPEG image or a PDF that is embedded on the page. By the way, this tool was designed with the NAM, the teachers, the National Association for Media Literacy. Uh, they also are related to the and uh, national writing project, and it was thanks to our network of education innovators that we were we were able to collaborate with them in the making of this infographic. We did a focus group that helped us a lot. When you go to the bottom of the page, you you find categories. If you click these categories, you will go to a page that displays all the tools with that label. You keep going down, you find a link so you can download the tool and also the release date. Uh, and now let's go to the top because also very important in the tool pages uh, is that uh, either if it's a video or if it's a research paper or anything uh, there is a tool on the right side you, you find something called related tools and this column that you see here on the right side is very important because also allows you to find tools related to the one that you are watching so for instance related to the various infographic we have Curriculum models, curriculum, curricula called uh, creative, creativity in online spaces, perspective. We also have guides, for instance, a fair use uh, for teachers guide. We also have basic concepts of copyright law, creative approaches, and alternatives to copyright. Uh, if you keep going down, you see videos uh, and also podcasts. Uh, that one of the outputs of that collaboration with NAMLE teachers was actually uh, how fair use works. Uh, an interesting podcast that we developed. Mm. That said, um, I invite you to browse the platform. Uh, perhaps teachers uh, watching Education Innovator webinar today would be interested in, in checking out the Copa Ferpa guide, uh, the videos about recommendations for K-12 cloud-based education and technology and student privacy, also the the podcast of Understanding Digital Trash, and also, of course, the new modules of the privacy curriculum that we are developing. Um, this is very important because we, we, as we develop this platform, we are also like creating like a new, new, um, new modules and new tools. Uh, and currently, we, we are uh, working on privacy safety uh, curriculum and also resources for parents uh, among these uh, tools. Also, like uh, we are on, working on a video about fair use for a general audience, and finally, uh, it's worth saying that uh, we envision this platform to evolve. Uh, we are continue uh, iterating the design, uh, improving its functionality, adding new tools uh, to our existing collection. We would like to implement features that allow users to provide different kinds of feedback to us and to interact with each other. So far, we just have this contact form, but it's, it's very simple, but you, I encourage you to, to fill it and send us like any request, questions, suggestions that you have. Uh, 
we are also exploring ways in which we can create and uh, and host tools created by our networks of, of collaborators and teachers around the world and support more collaboration and participation on the DLRP. Um, also, our future plans uh, include also translating DLRP content into other languages, such as Spanish, in order to, to reach a broader audience and address issues of digital equity in the US and globally. And uh, well, we, we, we are also thinking in having users, so users that can register for the platform and have their own profiles and do their own curation of tools according to their, to their needs. Uh, that said, let me just... Uh, wrap up and invite to uh, have this discussion. Uh, uh, thank you for listening to this little demo that we, we are now going to discuss. Yeah, thank you so much, Andres. Um, so, as he showed, we have a lot of content on there already. Um, we'll also be rolling out a lot more content in the next couple of months. Um, so, check back regularly or follow us on Twitter for updates. Um, so, there will be new curriculum, new uh, videos, infographics, um, lots of exciting stuff coming out of our collaborations. I'm really excited to share it. Um, so Don, I don't know if maybe you at this point you'd like to um, talk a little bit about what your experience was with the platform or sort of how you see these kinds of platforms really and what their role might be in terms of helping you find materials for um, these kinds of issues to use in your classroom. Um, as we mentioned, this is very much a prototype and there are many directions we could take it, um, so we'd love to get some of your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Thank you, and thanks, Andreas, for the overview. So the platform is new to me, too, and I'm excited about looking at it and, and thinking about the possibilities. It was over a decade ago when we really started moving as, in, as educators into thinking about digital literacy, and for a long time I've been duct taping and piecing things together from a lot of different places, and, and in a sense, I still do some of that, but in very rich and innovative ways that are pretty exciting now because there are a lot of um, conversations surrounding digital literacy. One of um, the things that jumped out at me, too, was that I, what I like about this platform, my initial like thoughts and reactions, I like that it was tied to different audiences. So I mentioned I teach in, at Okemos High School in Okemos, Michigan, and one thing that um, our public school district is starting to do is have community conversations around digital um, safety and even screen time like what is the effect of screen time and how do students um, get perhaps in some ways get addicted to some screen time and how do you find the right balance so issues of safety issues of privacy issues of helping students be smart with with technology is relevant for them to explore relevant for parents and for and for teachers of course um, so I'm excited to think about the different ways that you're looking at audience that was one thing that immediately jumped out to me I also am excited about the different types of media. Um, I, I'm happy to see the, the role of infographics and, and video and, and podcasting and to be able to look and find those different um, pieces that we could bring in to reach different types of learners and to reach different types of goals. So I was excited about that connection too. Um, and I think in many ways, looking at issues of digital citizenship, looking at different media ways to communicate information can help us when we work with, work with students for a variety of reasons. First of all, the different learners, as I mentioned, but also um, it allows us to have curriculum that students can engage with so that we can encourage them to be active digital citizens and to be involved 
civically and to be involved um, and to be thinking about these factors when students are creating their own media when they're engaging online and I think about that in a lot of different ways I, I'm my classes are involved with youth voices which is um, an online platform that I work with other NWP teachers on youthvoices.net and we have a lot of conversations where we integrate different resources that students can ha use and talk around and it's um, essentially blogging and discussions and also missions and in which students have common shared curriculum across students across the country so we've tried to pull in different resources from places such as the work that you're doing um, with students and then I also think it ties very strongly to letter with letters to the next president where students students are thinking about um, the way in which they are engaging in in their own civic voice and in order to do that they need to have a lot of these scaffolds along the way I was thinking about the different thematic areas you have privacy safety creative expression information quality those are those are serious issues for our students to explore so I'm excited about I know I just threw a lot out there but I'm excited about about audience excited about the different um, media and the topics and that you're bringing them up because they are ones that we need to continue to cultivate the types of resources that are out there for students, for, for teachers, for parents and community. Yeah, thanks so much. It's always good to hear positive feedback. Um, you know, at the moment, as we mentioned, uh, this platform really only creates our own content. Um, and I'm kind of curious about both in your own uh, sort of curriculum research gathering practices as well as um, what you've seen out there. Are there, you know, are you just saving the interesting things you find in like a Dropbox folder somewhere or are there other platforms you see where good content is aggregated? Um, and if not, what are things that a platform like DLRP could be doing to really help you connect all the things you're finding online as well as maybe connect you to some of the people doing similar work? Mm -hmm. That's a great question and such a big question. I feel like I'm always... Take any piece of it. <laughs> I'm, well, I feel like I'm always reshaping and reshifting how I approach that. A lot of it for me is about teacher networks. So there there are there will be pieces of different content that will tie to the work with youthvoices.net and connect with students. Um, there are pieces through National Writing Project, like with the current, that there are some connections, and, and with Educator Innovator, where there are different connections and resources there. Um, and I think you asked like a three-part question, and I'm not actually getting to the answer of it. So uh, how do I cultivate it? I, I think I just keep track of resources for myself and then join in different conversations with NWP teachers, NCTE teachers, through via Twitter, that sort of thing. Cool, I'm, yeah, I'm, I've been really amazed by how valuable Twitter has been as a resource for teachers. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like a lot of really great conversations are happening on it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess, um, you know, a question we've been broadly thinking about is when we say digital literacies, what does that what does that even really mean, and what are some of the challenges that you face when you try to incorporate these kinds of issues in the classroom? Um, are there, you know, concerns from parents, or um, are students not interested in it, or how can you get more engagement from the community? I like what you mentioned before about what 
uh, your school or district has been doing about these community meetings. And so if another teacher was interested in doing that in their own location, how could they get that, those kinds of conversations started? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that for a while the conversation around digital literacy when years ago was starting with what are all the factors, what are the things we need to consider, and the conversation has, has dramatically shifted to this is how it is, what are the things we need to support in terms of literacy, and that we still hold the tag digital to it, but really it's all about literacy and being able to engage, read, and write the world. And so um, students, I think, are very engaged with it because it is part of our world and, and ties to what they're interested in and ties to connecting learning across different spaces. Um, so the different work that I do with students when it's media making or media analysis, they're very engaged and interested. And they also recognize that they need to think about things like a digital footprint or how do I represent myself well in an online space and um, how do I make sure I'm being safe in those sp in different spaces. Um, I talk with my students, for instance, about, we talk about password literacy. And, and, and whenever I talk about that with them, I said, this is something adults struggle with because we are now in, in an online space, this is the way that we live and we operate, how do you manage everything? And so I realize that there's probably a range in which people engage with that in their classes, but I, I feel if I do not actually address some of these things with students, I'm not doing my job because yes, I need them to be critical readers and writers, but critical readers and writers in our world includes being engaged in online spaces and being um, digitally savvy and digitally engaged. They, they just need to know all of these pieces and engage in it, but also I think there's an opportunity too for voice. Students and have an opportunity to put their voice out there and do a lot more than ever before, largely because of of the of technologies and they get they have those wonderful opportunities to connect and so when I think about resources like this I think it's supporting a lot of that work that teachers are doing in the classroom so that's kinda where I'm at but I'm 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 also interested to hear a little bit of the backstory like what led you to some of this work um, and why you found it to be important yeah uh that's a great question. So my background is in education. Um, I did my master's at uh, Harvard's grad school. Um, and for the past couple of years, you know, I've talked to a lot of educators about these kinds of issues, and I've certainly met a lot of educators who are really interested in digital literacy, um, both in and out of the classroom. And it just seemed like it has been tough to find um, at least not just one great source of materials, but a couple of different sets of curriculum to draw on and kind of remix your own. Um, I've also been really interested in how teachers are communicating with one another online um, or creating support networks offline. Um, so for instance, uh, I, you know, at the Berkman Center we work fairly closely with uh, the Media Lab's Lifelong Kindergarten Research Group um, and they're the group that has developed and facilitated Scratch. Um, so we've done some work around trying to help teachers and 
uh, after-school educators uh, not only learn Scratch but also support those, that kind of learning um, within their communities. Um, and you know, in many ways, you can create all the resources you want and put them online. But if no one knows about them, or if you don't have the community to connect to them, um, or even you know, find out how they're using them, right? And we'd love to create ways to make it easier to not just put out resources, not just make it easier for anyone to put out resources, but also build in some more of that reflection about what's going well or what isn't going well, and really try to make the conversation more cohesive around what kinds of learnings are happening. Um, so that was sort of the brainchild, I would say, for a lot of the curriculum that we've been working on. Um, and as Andreas mentioned, uh, most of our curriculum is very modular and very flexible, um, and it's all standards aligned to Common Core and ISTE. Um, and so our curriculum is built up with a series of lessons that are about 15 to 20 minutes long or so, um, and they're all remixable, and you can do them in any order. Um, but I'm curious, Don, about with your experience, um, is it helpful to keep putting out, you know, sort of like fully-fledged curriculum out there, or is it in some ways more helpful to provide, I guess, not just like, what kind of tools are helpful for you as an educator to learn about a topic and facilitate discussions around it, but uh, is it also more helpful to have create tools that you can use in your classroom with your students. So when we think about audiences, are we better off designing for the teachers or designing for the students so that teachers can use that with them? That is such a good question. And my answer is going to be both. I think there are, there are plenty of teachers that would love to use the content and sort of in, figure out how to engage more with, with conversations related to digital spaces. I like the idea of remixing. I started thinking about like what it, how how could I remix or interact with it to create something for my students. Um, but I also think that um, students at the center of our curriculum and students remixing and rethinking and sharing with one another is kind of interesting too. Uh, I'm not sure. I think that that could happen, that it could be kind of interesting, like what, what, what pieces could students go out and explore and then decide that needs to come to the forefront in terms of some of the content for them and for their situation. And I think that could be kind of fun, like I could see myself doing that with my students. Um, but I also, but I do think that there's a huge range in terms of um, grade level and, and, and capability perhaps but even more so time is always of, of an essence for that is always a challenge um, for everyone but when we think about fitting different curriculum in and and, and all of that um, so having resources for teachers at different and different levels of ways of interaction with the content I think is pretty interesting to think about you know what things could I embed in another website? What things could I um, could I take certain pieces and make it like my own choose their own adventure where students are kind of working through it? Could they do that too? Because um, when I think about delivering that content, I also think about how what are my students going to be engaging in 
and how are they going to engage with this content and be excited about it and learning about it and also figuring out different, even, I mean, it even takes them down to different research skills when they're looking at different types of content. I, I was thinking about uh, the media pieces and I thought, okay, if I was, I teach, I teach freshmen, usually freshmen, juniors, and seniors. So I have the whole range. And I was thinking about what they would gravitate to if they were on this. And I started getting, because they're in the middle of writing some research papers, I started looking and saying, oh, I wonder what research papers are out there for models for, for them. And then I said, well, they would gravitate toward the infographics and be excited about that. And so how, how, do, how do we even choose to read certain texts and, and media and how do they speak to one another became part of um, my thinking along the way too. So I'm, I'm curious about, for all of you, what you imagine those different interactions to be. I think you've you've brought together a lot of interesting resources. I'm curious about how it will work and I, I know I see with the curriculum there are modules and I haven't spent as much time with them like I see that it says here's what you could do like step by step but I'm curious of how you're thinking about the modules and and interaction pieces for for teachers and for for students as well. Yeah, um, so it is modular, um, so they're sort of designed as these fully fleshed out uh, curriculum that you could just use straight out of the box if you wanted to. Um, alternatively, we will also provide you with a Word doc so you can take it and make your own edits. Um, I know that when I was teaching in the classroom, I would end up, you know, I would download all these PDFs and then I would like sort of copy and paste text from them into my own lesson plans and it was just kind of messy. <laughs> so hoping to make that process a little bit easier um, because I know that as a teacher you look through it and you say like, well, oh, my students have already mastered this thing or, you know, they won't really care about that celebrity that was used in an example, so I'm going to swap that out. Um, so just making it easier for teachers to make the lessons more uh, culturally relevant is really important. Um, I would say at the moment that the content we have on the DLRP or the way we've designed it is really far more for educators or for really tech-savvy parents. Um, we're still trying to figure out how we can be most helpful to young people. Um, and so what are the mechanisms that would get them to a platform like this and what are the things that they might be interested in learning. So. Uh, something that we've been really excited about is that we've been working with uh, the engagement lab or some of the uh, undergraduate students and this game design club at Emerson College. Um, and so at the moment they're thinking through how can we design games either in classroom or online uh, to teach young people about privacy and social media and some of the trade-offs of sharing information. Um, so it's been fun to also work with students and talk to students about these kinds of issues and to have undergrads say to us like, oh, like, you know, I thought this was so simple and obvious, but now that I think more carefully through it, um, it's actually pretty complicated. And in some ways that process has also been really rich in terms of thinking about how could we create curriculum around getting your students to make these kinds of games and really involve the process of making um, with the conversation about social media. Yes, I, I will add that also like uh, the issue of having these different media formats and different types of tools uh, as uh, Dan was mentioning earlier uh, creates like this kind of uh, appeal to different audience as well like uh, the infographics or the videos or the podcasts could be more appealing to youth and 
even if they are like categorized as for teachers or for school administrators or for parents, we are encouraging like people to also be curious and grab the resources for teachers and use them, hack them, you know? It's like this 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 is one of the I mean, you can see like the multiple audiences as a criticism or as something that is positive. We see it as something positive because we also think that mm, there is a need for creating more like cross-generational experiences. So for instance, we need to cultivate the use of these resources also in the families and at home. So it's not, it's like also we are not thinking only uh, the resources that are only designed for schools or for the classroom. Uh, thinking about out of the classroom, uh, what we envision is that people can take these tools and take them to the library, take it to your home, take it to your friend's house and empower them with this capacity of like trying these uh, activities or like uh, using the infographic or uh, watching a video. Um, so, so the, the issue about audiences also means that we, we see them as something that overlaps and they are like the boundaries are blurred. We, we want them to mix as well. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, maybe we can ask this question. If, if for instance, for Dan or for anybody on the on the web that is <laughs> hearing us, like having the multiple audience create a confusion if it is difficult to navigate and it's not appealing. But maybe I mean, this is something that we are dealing with the user-centered design approach, right? If is is this platform designed for teachers or is it really appealing for youth or it works for parents or you know the, those those things we have been in discussion with other designers who have like asked that questions especially in terms of language terminology the areas uh, the just the categories right because we created a we organized this with a taxonomy and added metadata to all our resources but maybe that metadata only works for teachers or for parents i, I don't know we are we are under that discussion I'm excited about the multiple audiences. I, th I think that's a that is a move that we need to we needed to make. And as educators, when we talk, when we really are talking about privacy and safety, and and we need to model that for students. I mean, we know that it's important to model our reading and writing habits with students as as educators. And I think that it comes naturally for us to say that means we're reading together or we're writing together. But we also need to, to model that in terms of how we operate in a digital space. So like for my students, we we work we do work on how do you create a professional online identity. Um, a couple months ago, I was fortunate to be on an educated innovator conversation with some of my students, and they were so excited because of the professionalism of this. And so we talked about, you know, where are the different spaces that you're represented online. And so I invite, just was inviting them into the conversation that is part of my professional life, and they, they, were amazing in terms of it, but what was also really neat for me was having the opportunity for them to say, "I'm starting my professional <laughs> space online, and I and I and I know that I want to be putting myself out there and sharing this this information." And so, so before we ever could even get to something like that, we had to talk about safety and making sure that they. Um, 
<clears throat> were smart and savvy in terms of what they what they're doing to cultivate that online presence and in you know as high school students to be thinking about that is pretty pretty important for for what they choose to do as they go forward and so when I think about those audiences I think that's really really important because we need to model those for students like going back to the password example um, plenty of people are not safe and savvy in terms of their online online passwords and our students are going to be doing things online banking and all of that stuff that they need to be thinking about they can't have a one password for everything that's not a not a safe thing and so you know that's one example but how they communicate online how they um, how, whether it's writing um, or speaking but then also how they receive information online because I think uh, the whole idea of filter bubbles they are, are slowly starting to get but I'm they struggle with that at first when we start talking about that and being able to understand that is part of reading the world because goodness if they were only in their own little space what what things they would truly miss um, and and then when I talked with students about research I, I one student just I couldn't believe it a senior she just said oh Mrs. Reed you blew my mind when you said some people only get their their news from social media and we have a responsibility to think about news beyond that and we have a responsibility to be civically engaged and and so I think that the the, the themes that you're raising and the fact that you're really looking at different audiences and the fact that you're really pushing it um, different media is very complementary to a lot of that and and the tie-in to I think to letters of the next president is, is great because we're asking students to really think about what does it mean to be civically engaged what what are my responsibilities as a citizen um, as as an intellectual being as well and um, students students get that and they get engaged with that and they get excited about that because it's real yeah, actually, uh, thanks for mentioning themes. And it's really great to hear that you're thinking so much about how educators can model this kind of good digital literacy behavior as well. Um, you know, so we have sort of these four topics that we've been exploring. Do you think that there are other, like, really critical big themes that we're missing out on? In some ways, I do wonder if civic engagement in, it, in and of itself needs to be its own section. But I also feel like it cross-cuts across all the areas. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I like what you have as, as a starting point. A bit, a, the privacy and before I ever even get to that with any of anything with civic engagement with students, we talk about safety first. We talk about privacy first. We talk about responsibilities and making sure you're safe because I don't want to take any of my students into a space where where they do something that could impact their future. And and we all know that students do that on their own, so I'm hoping them not to do that. So, but I do like, and I do like the idea of looking at information quality. I think it ties so much into research and what we need to do to be able to be really critical readers and to be critically literate. I like the idea of creative expression. I, I get excited about the idea of civic engagement as well. Uh, I have students who you know read different news posts and then go and analyze the comments that people leave and they're some of them are very upset and disappointed with our society and the way that we engage in some online spaces and so I get excited and about my students responses to thinking that they could do something different or that 
people could behave in more responsible ways. That's not to say that in every online space that's the case. There are plenty of people that engage in online spaces in beautiful ways. Um, but I, but I, my students this year, one, one of my things I was proud of one student is she said, I just don't like how, pe how these people are engaging. And it's my civic responsibility <laughs> to really think critically about this conversation. And she said, and I think I want to join, jump in. And I'm just going to watch the conversation for a while and figure out how to put myself into it. And so I get it. I'm excited about that idea about how how they learn how to inter that interaction piece online. Like when do I choose to join the conversation? When do I choose not to? And how how do I think smartly and carefully and critically about that? Because that is something that they wrestle with um, a lot of times. Well, yeah, it's so exciting to hear that uh, you have these students who are having such positive um, experiences and realizing that they, too, can have a space and a voice in the conversation. Um, Andreas, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I was wondering if we could touch a little bit this topic of uh, civic engagement and digital citizenship and actually what, what, does, it, what does it mean to be responsible uh, in the... In, in the digital age, right? What, what, why is important that we also cultivate these kind of uh, skills that uh, make people, like young people, uh, parents, uh, teachers, to, to be aware of rights and responsibilities? What, what, are, what are the outcomes of having this beyond, uh, beyond just the classroom, right? Like, wh why is this important and, and, and how digital literacy and these tools can support that kind of um, engagement. And it's, it's kind of very open, but I just wanted to bring it on because it's kind of important. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, it's about the way we live and operate in the world. That, But the idea about digital citizenship is about, it's about citizenship and engaging in online spaces. It's you know, I think about all the things that teenagers deal with, and there are some complexities that I say, my goodness, I'm glad I, I did not grow up having to deal with some of those things in terms of online spaces, in terms of devices. But then I think, stop and say, no, this is also really way cool. So, so a lot of it is about helping them learn how to interact with each other because there is a lot of drama in high school that goes on related to online spaces and that also carries over into other places. And so, you know, there are always numerous stories in the news about this. So. For me, the basics is is thinking about how we become good digital, how we become good digital citizens, because we're good citizens, and how do we engage with um, texts and the realities of our lives in, because we need to be able to process and take in important information, but also because we need to be able to put out and produce information. And what does it mean to be able to be a pro prosumer? Um, be involved in a prosumer society, all of those issues I think come up again and again and we hit a lot of different learning targets that are relevant to students' lives every day. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and 
share your perspective. Um, I think it's it's always helpful to me to talk to educators who are you know on the ground working with students and um, hear what kinds of experiences they're having in the classroom. Um, Andres, do you have a couple more points of wrap up, or I know we're almost out of time. Yes, we are almost out of time, so we want to um, take this um, last minute to thank our guest that Paulina already did. But we also <laughs> want to invite uh, our audience today to to join us or to help us uh, continue designing the digital literacy resource platform. So we are always looking for collaborators and co-designers. If you have any ideas, suggestions, and feedback, please send us an email to fabuong at cyber and Andres Lombana uh, at cyber.lao.harvard.edu. Our, our, you can see our emails uh, on the screen now. And uh, also, feel free to, to go to the DLRP and continue uh, trying our resources and tools. Um, that's it. I think, uh, I think we are ready to, to say goodbye to yeah. our listeners. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for the conversation, and thank you for the work that you're doing to support teachers. And um, and I'm also on Twitter at Don Reed. Oh yes, Don Reed. Okay, I also just <laughs> made a tweet with one of the questions that you did. I am also at Twitter at BBVA. <laughs> and you too, Paulina. You can see. Say you. Yeah, we. I would say that right now the Twitter feed is mostly just the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not true. There are more people. <laughs> You can check it out. Okay. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, you so much, Don, and thanks, Andreas, and thank, thank you, you to the National Writing Project for setting this up. Um, yeah, thank you, Liana. Great the... to talk about our work, and as Andreas mentioned, we are always looking to involve others in it. So, um, if you're interested, just send us an email, and we'd love to chat. So, thanks, and have a good night, everyone. Thank you very much. <laughs>